All right, this morning as we're getting into the message time, I want to just say two things. First of all, thank you uh, for your uh, encouragement as we walk with people in uh, a season of baptism. It's just such a special thing that we get to do. If your heart is moved to say, you know, I've never been baptized, that's when you take what is a private commitment to Christ and make a public profession of that commitment. It's a powerful time. We encourage it. It's a step of obedience because Jesus said that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so please don't hesitate to say, hey, if, I've, if you've never made that step of faith, uh, talk to one of our pastoral staff, call the office, talk to me. Uh, we would love to help you get set up with our next baptism service, and that's an exciting thing. I also want to just note a couple of things, uh, one, one other thing uh, before we get into the message time. Uh, celebrating generosity in many ways that the church has been expressing that, and that goes from missions to outreach to food pack event. There's been a lot of output uh, that has been a response to your generosity. And so periodically, we like to do two things. We like to say thank you. Uh, thank you for being a part of this. We know that many of you are giving and even giving sacrificially to help the ministries of the church do uh, what God has called us to do. And so we want to just say thank you uh, publicly for that. We also like to occasionally say, this is what our current biggest need is. And right now, as we look at our biggest need in the church, we're looking at uh, our general fund giving, church ministry giving. Uh, we're running at about 94% uh, compared to expenses this year. We would love to close that gap between now and the end of the year. So in a very practical way, we just want to say, uh, if you have an opportunity to lean in in your giving or to factor that in when you think about year-end giving and stuff like that, do that. Uh, I am an absolute firm believer that when we respond in obedience, there is always an abundance. God is a God of abundance, and he will provide more than enough uh, for what we need to do to do the ministries that he is calling us to do. But even what you saw today with kids ministry, youth ministry, campus ministry, uh, adult ministries, we want to see those ministries fully funded because, frankly, they're just doing great work. So if you can be a part of that in helping in your giving and just be mindful of that in your generosity, that's going to be a huge win. Uh, God's been actually putting that topic on my heart and I'm not going to preach on it today, but we're actually going to do a series on generosity and stewardship in the, in the month of February in this coming uh, year. And I'm really actually getting excited about that because I think about the wonderful potential that God wants to unlock in our lives. We'll save that for another sermon. Today, we're going to continue on in our series, uh, In the Beginning, which has been a series through the book of Genesis. And if you're reading along with us, we have actually little bookmarks to help you read through the whole book during these seven weeks. Not hard to do, uh, but we hope that you're keeping up with that as well. Uh, first week, we talked about spoken into order as we looked at the creation account. The second week, we talked about broken into chaos, the reality of the fall. Last week, we were looking at God of the promise and the covenant with Moses. And today, I want to talk about God of the promise, the covenant with Abram, uh, and to, to look uh, with you in Genesis chapter 12, which is where we're going to be picking up today. While you're thinking about turning there, let me give you this observation. So I remember hearing church stories, testimonies when I was young. Uh, oftentimes, you know, dramatic life change kind of stories, maybe a wayward teenager uh, or someone overcoming addiction uh, or a self-absorbed adult or someone whose, whose marriage or family was really struggling who came to an encounter with Jesus and found new life in him. In fact, we've heard some of those stories in little bits here and even in our first service, a powerful story of how God has made massive life change. Uh, beautiful stories. My own life in its own way uh, tells the story of new life in Jesus too. Repentance that, needs, that leads to life, 
Uh, forgiveness that sets me free from sin and shame and, uh, and a new theme or a new song that God begins uh, to put in us. So, so Psalm 40 became sort of a, a real theme verse for me when I was first really starting to walk with Jesus. I, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He put my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise that many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And many of your lives sort of tell that story in one way or another as well. Well, the curious thing is that many of the testimonies that I heard ended with the decision to follow Christ. In other words, that was kind of the big finale, the big finish. And then after all of the trial, all of the searching, all of the questions, all the wondering, I committed my heart to Jesus. And it was, these were wonderful stories to hear but it struck me even as a little child that as these stories ended with the triumphant joy of having led another person to Christ, uh, the question that I didn't know how to answer was, well, then what happens next? You know, it's almost like uh, the romance movie that ends with a couple walking off together, usually into a very well-timed sunset. Uh, even as a kid, as I would see those kind of movies, I remember thinking, well, do they have any idea what they're getting themselves into? Which is actually a valid question. Uh, in a similar way, the testimonies that ended with the introduction to Jesus are beautiful, but frankly, they're just the beginning. What happens next is actually a very valid question. Some of us may be new followers of Christ. Some of us maybe are not followers of Christ, but maybe trying to figure out where you stand in faith. Others in this room have followed Jesus for decades. But one thing that I suspect we would agree on is that the journey with Jesus rarely unfolds exactly as we thought that it would. Can anybody say amen to that? I mean, that's like a sort of a reality that we all kind of face. And many of you, even you think back to the, the moment, you know, there's a, there's a joy of our salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, the psalmist said. You know, when you think about that, the, the moment that you encountered Christ and really came to faith in him, and maybe even thought, my life is gonna be different. You know, I'm, I'm on a, a new trajectory, and it is a new trajectory. But I suspect that it has not unfolded precisely the way that you assumed that it would. Following Christ requires faith and trusting him in the unknown. And that's kind of the theme that I want to unpack with you today. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some different themes. The first week, we talked about uh, God making order out of chaos and how much of our life kind of revolves around trying to make order out of chaos. I've had more people say to me, that has been so true in my life. I realize that I spend most of my waking hours trying to make some order out of chaos. And that is an element of being made in God's image Last week we talked about another statement that much of your life is out of your control and many of you are living that reality. We don't have full control over really any aspect of our life as much as that can be a sobering statement. So today let me give you a related statement. Much of life with God is trusting him through uncertainty. I wonder if, if we get our minds around that today, if that would be a big step for us in our walk with Jesus moving forward. So as a young Christian, I had said yes to Jesus. I was all in as far as I could tell. 
and I was enjoying new encounters with him and evidenced in new priorities. There was a, a hunger for God's word that I never had had before. There was a sweetness of encounters with him in prayer that I had never experienced before. And maybe best of all, I remember those days, I was probably about 19 years old, I was encountering these powerful connections with other Jesus-loving people. You know, it was like, that, that was where I was seeing God like at work in just incredible ways as I was being spurred on. I mean, all of that was very biblical. I probably just didn't fully understand it yet. But in the midst of all of that, new life in Christ, there were sin patterns that were not easy to overcome. And I remember wrestling with that. God, why, why did these things sort of just like fall away? They just melted away when I came to Christ. And these things sort of feel more stubborn a little more ingrown. Y'all got really quiet when I started talking about sin patterns. That's a, it's a reality though, right? There was anxiety o- over the future. You know, there were things, and, and it was weird because I would say, well, if I'm in Christ, and I know that Christ holds my future, and I'm walking with him, well, why would I ever be anxious for anything? In fact, Scripture tells me not to be anxious about anything. So why am I wrestling with anxiety? Why am I wrestling with fear over decisions? That was part of my challenge. There were relational strains that I was like not quite sure how to fix or how to handle. Why was that part of my life? Well, I think what I began to learn even in those young years and what I would share with you today, the fact is there are substantial things, often long seasons, where following God means you will have to hold the tension of not knowing what God is going to do. Does that resonate with you this morning? Following God means that you will have to hold the tension of not always knowing what God is going to do. And so we simply say much of life with God is trusting him through uncertainty. And I'm going to prove it to you. Here's the proof. I want you to raise your hand. There's a little audience participation. If you have one aspect of your life right now that you would say, I'm not quite sure where this is going. I'm not quite sure what God is going to do. Okay, so we got lots of hands going up. Almost all of us, right? So I did this little exercise just this morning, and I sat down, and I said, are there any areas in my life that I would say I just don't quite know what God is up to, or where he's leading, or how this part is going to end, etc.? And I immediately counted seven. So if you feel like you're a little bit of a mess, you're not, probably not, you know, so it's, but it's, it's part of the deal. And here we are, a group of people, many of us having said we're committing our lives to Jesus, we're following him, but almost all of us saying there's aspects of my life in which I'm following God through periods of uncertainty. And I want to tell you today that is actually a normal part of following Christ. And while we could talk with a lot of uh, uh, angles on that, let me simply call us to Genesis chapter 12, and I want to look at the call of Abram, which is a very... Uh, very pivotal part of scripture. So we've been talking about trying to increase biblical literacy. We're going through the whole book of Genesis. Genesis 12 is a, is a, is a must understand uh, for anyone who is a Bible reader to understand that this is a pivotal place wherein God is the focus of God's activity in the world moves from the general work of God to the specific family through which now he is going to work really throughout the, the, the majority and the rest of scripture from this point. So Genesis 12 shows this with the calling of Abram who will later be called Abraham. So why don't we read a couple verses together in Genesis 12. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. All the, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Let me read that again. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions that they had accumulated and that the people had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So may God have blessing to the reading of his word here today. Uh, What I'd like to do as you wrestle with this question and we look through the lens of Genesis 12, much of life with God is trusting him through uncertainty in this pivotal passage where we see this transition from God interacting in a general interaction with his created world to the specific interaction with God's people. Uh, I want to look at this call. This call is received, the call is believed, the call is obeyed. Very simple, but I want us to look at a couple specific pieces with this. The first is that the call is received. So the Lord says to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. At, At face value, this doesn't seem like a huge ask, but in reality, it is immense. This is everything that Abram would have known in the ways of security, in the ways of stability, in the ways of life as he knew it, God is saying, I want you to uproot from your culture, uproot from your family, and go, and not just go anywhere, but go to the place that I'm going to show you. Um, If you think of this through the lens of Abram being sort of a Jewish God-fearing man, you would be wrong. Uh, He's not that yet, because that hasn't happened yet. This is the point in history that God has not yet even made his people or the father of his people aware of what he's going to be doing. So Abram was likely in a polytheistic kind of culture. Uh, Interestingly, I, I find this sort of fascinating that there were 10 generations between Adam and Noah where we left off last, uh, last week, and then we've gone through 10 generations again to get from Noah to Abram. In both cases, humanity does not go from bad to good. You know, it goes from good to worse. Uh, in fact, by the time he gets to the time of Noah, it's as God's lament is that he's looking at his created world and looking at humanity in particular and says, the, the inclination of every heart is only evil all the time. I mean, that's incredibly absolute in terms of the the destructive power of sin up to the time of Noah. Then there's the flood. He starts over with Noah, but sin is still a problem. So that by the time you get to Abram, he's living in a polytheistic nation that doesn't really even know God. They don't even know who he is until God reveals himself to him and calls to him and says, you're gonna follow me and you're gonna go to a land where I'm gonna show you. So the call is received. Uh, in the story from Adam to Noah and in where we are thus far, we can see God's view of sin is, is pretty severe. He takes it seriously as a threat to the integrity of his creation. And maybe we would do well to understand it perhaps less about just an object, uh, objective punishment than it is a level of incompatibility we cannot fulfill our greatest purpose of, not, of knowing and glorifying God as his image bearers while we are twisted out of shape and distorted by self-love. In fact, that may even be a better definition for the root of sin because what we find is when, when, when humanity is operating in a way that says we will determine for ourselves what is right and wrong. We will determine for ourselves what we're gonna do. There's a very anti-God state of mind that emerges. 
and it has emerged again by the time that this call is received. So even after the flood, sin is still present. Uh, God is calling a family apart uh, through which line this blessing will come, and we're going to trace that just a little bit today. Uh, So this is absolutely connected to the earlier accounts of the creation and the fall. We see now the earlier phases of God's long game of redemption. So we talk about creation, fall. We are now moving into what will be the long game of God's redemption. God's interactions now are going to be primarily with this family line, as we said. So let me ask you a question. If God did not tell Abram where he was going, I'm going to go to a place that I will show you. Do you think that Abram had a clue to what God was ultimately going to do? I would say, I think pretty definitively, not remotely. Like not in the ballpark, not in the zip code, like not not even a remote clue of the ultimate work that God was gonna be doing through him in this work of redemption. I mean, when you look at the interactions, and we're going we're gonna to look at a few more passages today, what happens in Genesis 15 and, and some of the other ones. I mean, this guy does not have a clue what God is up to. And in some ways, it's really reassuring because the practical application looks like this. Is it possible that you don't fully understand the ways in which God will use your current steps of obedience in bringing about future blessing? And I would say almost with equal assuredness, not remotely. Like you have probably no idea the full picture of what God will work out throughout the course of your life and what will happen for generations and generations to come. But mark my words, the the decisions that you're making now and the responses that you're giving to God now absolutely matter. It's interesting, Hebrews 11 says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, those are the generations following him, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So everybody here is like, they're getting credit for the fact that they are exercising good faith by the author of Hebrews. And then listen to this verse 12. This is Hebrews 11. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, and as countless as the sands on the seashore. So here we have Abram, polytheistic nation. He's doing his thing. He gets the voice of God. The call is received. You are going to be a blessing. You are going to be blessed, and through you, you're gonna bless the whole world. The second thing I wanna look at is that the call is believed. Sort of, okay? So the call is this. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. God's going to be with you now. And then it says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So I just want you to see this. So Abram sets out in faith, but admittedly, he has no clue at how God was going to accomplish this thing that he has promised. So the theme we're talking about today is what is it like to walk with God through seasons of uncertainty? So he's saying, I receive the calling on my life. I receive the voice of God, the calling to go. I'm trying to respond in obedience and faith, 
but I don't know how God is gonna do this. In fact, specifically, he says, you wanna make a nation out of me? I have no kids, and I'm old, and my wife is old. We're probably not gonna be having kids, so how is this gonna happen? So by the time you get to Genesis 15, you see Abram is feeling very doubtful over his childless state, and he's decided that instead of Uh, You know, he said, well, I think I understand. I'm gonna receive this promise and I'm gonna bless one of my servants. It was a man by the name of Eliezer and he can be the line of blessing. And so he's having this conversation with God and God is like, no, that's actually not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a nation that will come from your line. And he's discouraged. He's like, God, how is this gonna happen? And then God has this very beautiful, almost poetic moment. He says, I want you to look at the stars And he begins to look at the stars and he quiets his heart and God says, so your descendants will be like the the stars that you see, like beyond ability to count. And what we start to see here is that the calling of God that we receive in obedience and we step forward in faith and yet we're gonna walk with him in, in places that we don't fully understand, but we can get a little bit of a clue here now in Genesis 15 that the plans of God are exponentially bigger than the idea or the scope of Abram to fully comprehend. In fact, uh, this is just a little side note, but it's fascinating. In Genesis 15, it says the sun is setting. This is verse 12 and following. Uh, Sun's setting. Abram falls into this deep sleep, and then the Spirit of the Lord speaks to him and says this. Just listen to what he says. He says, Know for certain that 400 years... For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their, of, not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, if you're sitting here going like, what, what, exa- what is this talking about? Imagine how Abram felt. And some of you, because you've read ahead a little bit and you, you know kind of where you are in the scriptural arc, you know that he's talking about the descent into slavery in 400 years and the deliverance of what God is gonna do and then ultimately the taking, he's, he's all the way out to, the, to Joshua and the taking of the promised land in this prophetic word that he's giving to Abram in Genesis 15. It's not just the work of God's plan in his life, but it's what he's gonna do through him in the nation that will come, in the nations that will come against the people of God, and ultimately in the ways in which God will judge them. I guess what I'm asking you to simply consider is, even when you say, I want to believe God for all that he has, there's no possible way you're fully gonna get your mind around the sovereignty of his plan. Because even when he's revealing it in scripture, we look at it thousands of years later, we can start to put some of the pieces together. Abram would have had no idea all that was in store for him. And then in that same chapter, we see the sort of ceremonial um, covenant is actually established. And this was a, God actually brings his presence into this thing with the moving between the animals that are sacrificed and everything as an establishment with uh, with his, uh, his people, with Abram, for that which is gonna come. So you can read that in Genesis 15. Here's the last thing that I want you to see. The call is received, the call is believed, kind of, and then the call is obeyed, also kind of, okay? 
So Abraham went. So back in Genesis 12, he he packs it up, he goes. As the Lord had told him, they set off for the land of Canaan. Uh, But then as as the... story unfolds and you probably know this you get to genesis 16 abram's he's discouraged he says well maybe i'll just kind of make my servant the heir god says no and then he and sarah get in their mind wait a minute we know how to get a child of of our own line we're just going to get you another another woman another wife so they 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 go through this whole thing deciding to help god by getting the family started through hagar who bore the son ishmael now you actually have two nations uh, and a wild history of God's blessing in different direction, but this was not the plan of God. And, and what I would encourage you today in the, in the uncertainty that inevitably you're facing in at least one area of your life, resist the pull toward functional atheism. Do you know that phrase? Functional atheism, it's a wonderful little phrase that I'm borrowing from Parker Palmer, and he defines it this way. He says, functional atheism is the unexamined conviction within us that if anything decent is going to happen here, then I am the one who needs to make it happen. And then he goes on to say this. He says, this is actually very prevalent even in people who who talk a good game about God. That you can have a a good vocabulary about God and trusting him and following him or whatever, but when it comes down to it, you say, if I don't make this thing happen, it's not gonna happen, and so we engage, and we usually mess it up. And that happens all through scripture. We see Abram setting out in faith, he's believing God, but he's making mistakes along the way. He's growing impatient. And most of the time, for most of us, I think I would be safe in saying, we're not suggesting that God is going too fast. Most of us are saying, well, God's just moving too fast and I can't keep up. I'm not saying that can't happen, but more often than not, we're saying, God, how long? Why hasn't this changed yet? And we can sort of devolve into a place that I think is well-defined as a functional atheism that says, unless I do it myself, it's not gonna be done. All the while, God in his timetable, and he's remarkably undaunted by our hurried nature, is saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to wait. I want you to pray. I want you to lean in. We see Abram learning this. He's setting out in faith. He's believing God, but he's making some mistakes along the way. He grows impatient. He struggles to hear properly. He comes up with great ideas, but they're not ideas from God, and they need to be corrected. And I want you to be encouraged with this. In short, Abram is on the journey He's on the journey of trusting God through uncertainty, and frankly, he's growing into the man that God wants him to be, but it's a process. So I want you to come back to the things that you're chewing on right now. All of the areas where for practical purposes you're saying, I don't really know where God is taking me on this. I don't know how this circumstance is gonna resolve. I don't know how this relationship is gonna be mended. I don't know how this problem is gonna be overcome. What do we do when we find ourselves? I just wanna give you a couple practical things here, but I want you to see this. As you begin to trace the seed of blessing through the generations, Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, Isaac, his son, who was born to Sarah in her old age, like the thing God said was gonna happen actually did happen, even despite all their efforts to find other ways to help God. He said, no, I'm gonna actually do this thing. 
Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. So now we have the beginning of the nation and the seed of blessing that you can trace all the way back from Genesis 12 throughout the arc of scripture all the way to Christ himself. You see now a pattern begins to unfold and and be encouraged by this of God using people who are often deeply flawed. God using people who are often deeply flawed to advance his kingdom. And through this, the people of God are established, the law of God is given, and, through the, and though the heart of God's people are prone to wander, just like your heart is prone to wander, the line of blessing continues. The prophecies of a Messiah to come emerge. They're given, and the improbable and unforeseen event happens generations later through which the whole world would be blessed. And that is nothing short of God arriving in the flesh to redeem a lost human race and to begin to make things right again. That's an amazing thing when you look at that from the lens of Genesis 12. That God had a plan in mind for all of this. And it gives me a little bit of encouragement, especially in the places of uncertainty that says, maybe I can actually trust him with my life. The difference between someone who is walking with Christ or not walking with Christ is not that the person walking with Christ has all the certainty. People walking with Christ have uncertainty as well. It's just we're certain of the person with whom we're walking. That's why when Hebrews says that faith is being certain of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, it's actually a powerful statement because the certainty is saying, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't, I don't know exactly where God's going. It's exactly where many of you are right now. And yet you can say with certainty, God, I trust you. You know, when you think about it, your own testimony that's unfolding right now, when you come to the place, and it's a, it can be a hard place to get to, to finally humble yourself to say, God, I'm trusting you with my life. God, I'm trusting you with my heart. God, I'm trusting you with my future. And you actually begin to do that spiritual business with him. You're not keeping him at a distance anymore, but you're actually inviting him in to be a part of your life, saying, I'm gonna follow you, and no matter where you lead me, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be all in. It's hard to get to that place, but when we finally do, we don't have complete certainty, we have certainty of the person that we're with. And we begin to stand on the promises. So much of life with God is trusting him in uncertainty. That's what we've talked about here today. So let me give you one last practical application or encouragement. Um, And I've got a little list of things that maybe would be helpful for you as well. The encouragement is this. I actually don't think there is anyone in the history of the church, the history that God has written, who has made significant kingdom impact without having to trust God through substantial uncertainty. And when you look scripturally, you see it all over the place. When you look at your heroes of the faith, you see it all over the place. And so when you look at your own life and you see it, it shouldn't cause you to go like, well, what's wrong with me? It should actually cause you to have a little bit of courage and to say, well, maybe God is trusting me with the season of uncertainty and asking me to walk with him. A couple practical things. What do I do when I'm in some seasons of uncertainty? Number one, I, I pray a lot. Frankly, I pray a lot more when I'm uncertain, and sometimes I wonder if that's part of God's strategy to help teach me to pray. I pray a lot, so I'm encur- and that's, that's accessible to you. 
The whole series we did on Hebrews, Approach the Throne of Grace, Find Grace and Help in Your Time of Need, that's every day, that's all day, that's every one of us if you're in Christ today. So pray a lot in your uncertainty. Uh, simple, uh, acknowledge your uncertainty in prayer. You know, I actually do this sort of a lot. You know, I say, God, I don't know what you want me to do in this. I don't know what the next step is. God, I don't know what in the world you're doing here. God is remarkably unoffended. I can even, I can even let my emotion be real when I'm frustrated, when I'm angry and all that kind of stuff. He's got remarkably broad shoulders. He can handle it, you know what I mean? So I acknowledge my uncertainty and I also acknowledge my fallibility. You know, I said this in the first service in the beginning, but I'll mention it to you now. Most people that I talk to would say something like this. They would say, the situation that I'm in is not about my unwillingness to obey, it's my inability to hear, right? So I acknowledge my fallibility. God, I don't always hear you well. Frankly, I don't always listen well. Maybe I gotta get a little less distracted, maybe I get quieter, whatever, but I acknowledge my fallibility. God, I wanna hear you well, help me to obey you well. I acknowledge my uncertainty. Uh, I lean on other people a lot, spouse, family, friends, people that you can say, hey, can we pray into this a little bit together? I'm feeling uncertain. I'm not quite sure what the next thing is. I think that's a good practical thing to do. And then I'm gonna stand on the truth claims of scripture. So anything that God gives me in his word, even like, I think we talked about this today, right? Emily, you said this when we, like there's a declaration of I am who you say that I am. So these are scriptural declarations. I may not feel it in my heart. I may not feel it in my spirit, but I'm gonna stand on it. And I'm gonna keep standing on it till I do feel it. That was the message that we heard in worship today. And so I, I look for those promises in scripture. What are the truth claims that I can uh, build on? And then I, I'm, I'm gonna plant myself in the middle of that blessing, whether I feel like it or not, right? I'm gonna plant myself in the middle of that blessing. So today we're gonna have a closing song, the Lord bless you and keep you, and gonna give you an opportunity just to plant yourself in the middle of that blessing. Worship team, you guys can come up. Uh, I wanna pray for you, specifically, many of you already raised a hand, and so I already know how to pray for you. Uh, we're all dealing with some level of uncertainty, and we're exercising faith in the middle of it. And so I'm just gonna make that a simple prayer for you, and then I'll ask you to, to stand and, uh, and receive this as a blessing as we sing, and, and we'll continue on in this journey. So Jesus, thanks for walking with us and calling us forward and, and calling us to have big steps of faith. And we, um, we acknowledge before you, sometimes that's hard. Um, oftentimes we find ourselves in that place of saying, Lord, I'm willing. Maybe not a little, I'm not feeling very sure right now. I'm gonna step forward in faith. God, I thank you that you are patient with us in this journey and that it is not an uncommon thing that we might find ourselves uh, in that place. So Lord, let, let me also just acknowledge that many of these circumstances, even that we're processing today, uh, are painful. So we're, we're gonna be honest with you about that. Lord, some of these things hurt. So we just kind of want to unload that a little bit. Maybe just give you a second to tell God, honestly, hey, this is where I'm, I'm feeling some hurt. I also kind of just get the sense in my own spirit that some would be hearing this message and say, I don't feel hurt, I feel abandoned. I feel like God left me somewhere. That's a hard place to be.
but it actually does not align with the truth of Scripture. So I just want to speak that over you. You are not abandoned. You're not forgotten. I'm not saying that in a way to be trite. We look back on our lives and we see the places, even where we've suffered, and find that God was actually very present. So I wasn't really planning to go that direction, but I just sensed in my spirit that was an important word for somebody today. Yeah. So Lord, as we pray and as we lean in and as we go forward, we thank you for heroes of the faith. Many of them didn't know how their stories would end. In fact, Hebrews tells us many of them did. They came to the end of their life with faith and looking forward and hoping, but not having fully received. And so we recognize that may be part of your economy. That may be part of the way you do things. And we say, okay. But God, we're not going to stop pursuing you. We're not going to stop going after you. The other thing I just really feel led is just in, uh, you know, that, that there is in every generation, there is a move of God that oftentimes comes through uncommon faith people, you know, that have that kind of find that gear of saying, I am going after, I'm going after God in my generation, you know, and so we, we are a next generation church. And so I just want to say that, especially if you're 30 years and younger, 20 years and younger, if you're a teenager today, that, you know, let the Holy Spirit have the access when he's saying, it's time to move, it's time to go. Find yourself in that place by God's grace of saying, I want to be uncommonly obedient to the call of God in my life. And we bless the next generation with a, with a fierce obedience that would cause kingdom work to be done like never before in your generation. I think that's important. I, I think there's someone in this room who's going to be a next generation uh, mover and shaker for the kingdom. So maybe that's maybe I'm talking to you today. All right. Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful for your word to us. And we want to plant ourselves in that place of blessing as you offer us to. So let today be a good day as we do that. And we trust you, even in the unknown. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't we stand together and uh, the team's going to sing over us and um, you can.